You're visiting the mom next door and our stories of faith. I'm glad you dropped by for a visit. Please stay a while and hear what the Lord has done in the lives of moms just like you and me. Today, my friend Karna and I just got done with a lovely coffee date at a coffee shop and then headed back to my house so that we could do some recording here. So Karna, why don't we do something different today and you start out and say how you remember meeting me. The first time I remember meeting you is at a homeschool mom's meeting. We were meeting in a room and I was that time sitting in the front row (laughs) and you maybe had snuck in later, I don't know, but you were in the back row and at some point there was just conversation and questions and I remember you asking questions or sharing information And I was just, I was struck by, really I was struck by your wisdom, the things that you contributed to the meeting. And I was just scoping out the homeschool thing because my son, oldest son was just four years old, gonna start the next year. And so you were a year ahead of me with your oldest son. It may have been, he may have been a year too. It was somewhere in that four or five year old for me, five to six year old probably for your oldest son. But I just remember turning back and seeing this wise woman <laughs> in the back of that meeting. And that's the first time I remember Pam. <laughs> that is so funny. And I think it's um, probably accidental wisdom at that point because yeah. I'm sure I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> I was just playing it very well is my guess. So yeah, I was thinking the first place that I remember meeting you was in a homeschool co-op. And maybe we have been at those other meetings before, but I guess maybe where I got to know you was at the homeschool co-op. And so we both did that for several years, and then we both ended up dropping out for several years and really not being in contact. And then it was like when our children got older, I think maybe high school age, we, oh, I know, when they got older, I was the director of our local homeschool organization, and you were the person in charge of the used curriculum sale. So we ended up working together more, I I wouldn't say professional, is it professional when your homeschool mom's running a book sale and running an organization? But anyway, so we ended up working together in that and then just started having coffee dates regularly and getting caught up on, on what our kids were doing. And so we've just gotten to be friends over the years at that. And it's been really fun that, you know, I, I think that would even be an encouragement to, um, some moms is sometimes you feel like you don't have any close friends and it seems like you're just barren and in friendship and and we're just so disconnected but just wait because some of those connections that you had years ago maybe there's you know the time is coming when your children get a little older and you have a little more time that you can slip away and go meet with friends and so those friendships will come in time and they will deepen, so just hang on to that. So why don't you introduce your family to us? So I've been married to my husband, Kurt. We're gonna be celebrating 30 years in September, and we have two boys. Our oldest is Adam, and he's 23, and our youngest son is 17, James. So homeschooled all the way through, and yeah. Getting ready to wrap it up. Yes. Yep. He's almost done. Senior year, and we'll see how that goes amidst all the craziness of life right now. (laughs) Yeah. All like the year of new and new things for sure. 
So you're going to tell me, start by telling me a little bit of a backstory. Um, today we're going to talk about prayer and praying for our husbands. Yeah. And at at one point years ago, you just started getting a burden to pray for your husband. Yes. So my husband uh, just retired in April after about 25 years in youth corrections for the state of Oregon. And it, he was probably about... 10 years or so into it, 10, 12 years. And things had happened at, at his job and God just really impressed upon me that I wasn't really taking advantage and taking that opportunity to pray for him in the situations he was at in work and for his uh, safety. And I just really was struck with that. And shortly after feeling that, I went to um, the homeschool moms meeting, that group that we were in that I remember from, and I shared in a prayer request to the other ladies that God's really impressed upon me that I need to be praying for my husband at work and specifically for his safety because of the environment that he's in. And somebody asked in the group where he worked, and when I mentioned he worked at McLaren for Oregon Youth Authority, it was Grandma Thelma, Thelma English, that had been on your program recently, was coming with her daughter-in-law to this group, and she knew Kurt from going with a group in to minister, specifically in the cottage he worked at, and I just, God just reaffirmed to me right there that I had somebody that was seeing what was going on in that environment, and coming in with a group and ministering to the kids there, and and it was just a neat uh, confirmation to me that I needed to be praying and then that other people understood what was going on in there. And I'm sure as a believer and knowing Thelma and her husband, I'm sure that also is you knew that there were other believers also praying for the workers and yes. the, the kids and everything that was going on there. So that is kind of really great too, yeah. to know that there's other people also praying for your husband's workplace. And if they're going to pray, you should be praying too. Right. And it was, I always remember the, the night that this group came in and did these uh, ministry. It was a night that Kurt would usually come home from work and it was like one of the best days of his work week. Oh, the volunteers came in today and it's just so neat to have them come in. And it was an encouragement to him in that setting to have the Christian volunteers come in and minister. So that is a very specific time that I remember God impressing on my heart. And I'd say I had the ups and downs. You kind of go into that routine and you kind of forget, I guess, to be so mindful of it. And my husband, because of confidentiality, didn't often share a lot of what happened at work, which we understand a lot of times husbands can't share what maybe goes on. And then there were times that he didn't share because he was protecting me from hearing about all the stuff that happens in a corrections environment. So I, I appreciated that, that he was kind of keeping me out. So I guess that sometimes kept it from being foremost in my mind. Because to not I, realize the gravity of what yes. could be going on there. Right. I didn't always hear the situations or the stories or, or whatever, so I wasn't always thinking about it so but about two years ago it really came to the forefront that 
phone call people say that changes things for them. So it was July 17th, 2018, and I started working a few years ago, a very um, casual job, have some flexibility. Uh, my son was busy, that's still home with us, and I was getting, oh, I know, he was on a rafting trip, so he wasn't even around home. So I was getting ready to go to work and just kind of getting my stuff together and getting ready to make a, a smoothie to take with me to work. And the phone rings and I look and you know how it is a caller ID. I'm like, I don't recognize that number. I'm thinking I'm not going to answer it. But some reason I just felt prompted to answer it. Like, I don't know why. I answered the phone and the gentleman introduced himself. Um, he was a director for McLaren and told me that Kurt had been assaulted by a youth offender. He'd been struck multiple times in the head and was being transported by ambulance to a local hospital. Uh, he did reassure me that Kurt was conscious, which was good to hear. Um, they didn't know where yet that they were gonna be taking him to, but they would be calling me right back. So he, you know, we ended the phone call and I immediately just like starting to feel almost a wave of panic. I mean, just that feeling of, I don't know what this means. Struck in the head. Is this going to be brain damage? Is this going to change our life forever? I, I don't know what this means. And I'm stopping thinking, okay, Lord, <laughs> you've prepared me for this. You've told me to be praying for my husband. Um, what do I do? I need prayer. I can feel those emotions and I need prayer. I need prayer now. What can I do quickly? That's gonna, I call it the most bang for my buck. Yeah. And the first thing that comes to my mind is my small group at church. These are some of the friends that I've been at church with for 20, 30 years and some of my closest friends are in this group. So I stop and I send a message through our group message and say, please pray. I just got a call that Kurt's been assaulted by a youth and is going to the hospital. And I send that out. Then I'm thinking, what do I do next? I know my mom is busy at a meeting. I try calling my brother. He works nights and this is 9.30 in the morning, but I just call and I leave a message uh, I call our oldest son, our youngest son, like I said, is on a rafting trip. And then I call Kurt's uh, oldest sister in Washington and I have to leave a message and I let her know Kurt's been assaulted. I'll let him know more, but could you please let mom and other sister know what's going on? So I'm sitting there thinking I'm waiting for the call back to know where to go. And I'm thinking this could be an ordeal. I need to make sure I'm kind of prepared. So I'm like grabbing a protein bar. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna get, I need this smoothie. So I get a call back. That director calls back and said they are gonna take him to the Salem Hospital, which I was thankful for because a lot of times from that facility, they head a little farther north up into the Portland area. So I was glad they were coming south. And one of the coworkers, um, I recognized his name, was going to ride in the ambulance and be with Kurt to just be the liaison for him. And that already just meant a lot to me that somebody was stepping up. And I recognized his name, 
um, knew he was somebody that Kurt talked highly of. So I'm sitting there and I knew, I just, I knew I needed to take a step to take care of myself. So instead of running in the car and leaving then, I finished making my smoothie. Uh-huh. Took me a few minutes because yep. I thought I need this yep. to get through what this day is going right. to bring. So I get in the car and I'm getting messages from some of the people in the group. They're already praying. One of our pastors from our church is in our group and he directly messaged me, where are they taking him? So I told him and I leave and I head down and I park and I walk in the emergency room and that pastor's already there Mm. waiting in the lobby for me. We walk in and one of the volunteers in the emergency room uh, finds out who we are and maybe checks records or whatever and takes us back to the area where Kurt is at. And we're waiting outside the room where he's in because the um, Oregon State Police detective is already there um, talking with him and finding out what happened. And the emergency room doctor was there um, with him. And so uh, Pastor Steve and I wait outside and kind of can hear some conversation of what's going on in there. And I can hear Kurt talking, which was a reassuring thing. We probably stood outside the room for 20, 30 minutes before um, we could go in. It was just a curtain, so it's kind of like I can hear what's going on. But I'm just like calming my heart and saying, okay, um, I'm hearing his voice. That's good. So finally um, get ready to go in and the coworker comes out to talk to us. And he said, um, Kurt's you know, doing okay, but he's kind of nervous for you to come in because he's afraid he's going to lose it when he sees you. And I'm like, well, I guess the feeling's mutual. Because <laughs> it's like, so we walk in and um, can see some bruising and stuff, but can't really tell right away. Uh, so the emergency room doctor comes back in and says that he's quite sure Kurt's jaw is broken and probably in more than one place. Um, They're not seeing any other damage like that, um, but he's calling in a specialist um, to check things out for sure and to see what the next step is. So they did the, they did that exam in the specialist and it came out how many times broken? It was broken twice in two places right about at the chin and then on the right side up near the um, mandible mandible thank you <laughs> up by the ear I was gonna say yeah yeah mm-hmm. in the two places uh, that's when we first met our oral surgeon he was on call for the emergency room and he came in and confirmed and said that we would be looking at surgery either later that night or in the morning so the, of course they were gonna admit Kurt and and I think they wanted to kind of keep an eye on stuff because when you're hitting the head, you don't know. He did have some blurred vision, and it was hard to say at that point if it was just from the... Right. They yeah. don't just send you home after right. after a situation Assault like that. like that. And, right. Um, so now the waiting game started. Okay, so here's like 11 o'clock or 11.30, and this happened at 9.30, and Kurt hadn't wanted to take any pain medicine. They had been trying to talk him into taking something, even morphine, something just to 
for yeah. the pain. And he was wanting to just have the reality of what it felt like. And finally, when he kind of knew what was coming and what the extent was, he finally <laughs> accepted the pain medicine. So the doctors are like, trust me, yeah, you're going to want something. Yeah. You're yeah. kind of on this adrenaline or something, but you know what? It's going to hit pretty soon and you're really going to feel it. So we finally, um, so from that point, uh, a really good friend of mine and you know, Kimberly, who's working at the hospital now. Um, I texted her and said, Hey, are you working? Kurt was injured. We're in the emergency room. She came and saw, um, good friend, uh, Chuck came mm-hmm. down to the emergency room. Pretty soon my brother came down, my uncle, just different people started trickling yeah. in, um, to check on things. My mom showed up. Definitely pre COVID. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody could come. Thank yeah. you for that. Yeah. And I'm trying to remember sometime in the afternoon, I got a message from Kurt's sister that she and Kurt's mom were en route yeah. from Washington mm-hmm. down to, to see him and would be there probably about five o'clock. That just really, I mean, that just really struck me like, wow, they're, they like packed up and they're yeah. coming down. And yeah. I mean, I know at the time I sent that message, they didn't know. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how serious it was. They didn't know either. And, and they needed to come down and it's sometimes I think that we hear the words a family in crisis and when we look at our over our own situation we think well that's not a crisis I mean I even know when my daughter um got life flighted at the in her with a premature um going into labor prematurely and somebody was like well this is a family crisis and I'm like oh it's all under control they've got it under control it's not a crisis but then when you step back and, and go, no, this is something major. Right. <laughs> right. So when you see something in a family in crisis, in a situation like that, your family and friends, they mobilized. They, they got there. They were there to support you. They were there to support him. And then what happened next? So I was going to say that's a big one, of course. You stop and you think, I don't know how people do this when they don't have that network of friends of a church body to walk you through some of these things. So, okay, I had that smoothie in the morning and I'm like thinking, you know, as the afternoon goes on and and I I know we're going to get moved up to a room, but I don't know when it's going to happen. So I keep putting off and putting off checking out getting any other food. And we finally get moved up to a room and we're waiting for for the um, doctor to find out when we're gonna, when he's gonna have surgery. I'm kind of thinking his parent, his mom and sister are gonna show up and I'm sitting there going, I, I need I need food, but I don't wanna leave him. He, he's gonna have the surgery. He's gonna have his jaw wired shut mm-hmm. for six weeks and he's already, he's feeling anxious. Yeah. I can't blame him. That feeling of, I don't know, suffocation. I don't know that it's, yeah. he's feeling anxious and I'm feeling like I need to be there with him. So again, I get on my messaging system to small group and I just say, you know what? I I need food. I I don't want to leave Kurt and I don't know. And one of the ladies, she's actually one of the senior ladies in our group, jumped on and said, I'll bring you food. What Mm -hmm. do you want? So within, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes. In walked food. In walked food. And I so appreciated that and um, all these people, I think, when they show up, when they call, when they text, and all those things, 
I feel like also with that body of believers and that community, you know, every single one of them is praying for him too. Yes. So it's even, you know, when I think there's a verse about when we don't know what to pray, even the Holy Spirit prays with groans and and utterances, right? And I think sometimes when you're faced with something so immediate and it just kind of sucks the breath out of you, um, that we need to pray for each other and and to know that the Holy Spirit also is praying for us is great. Yeah. That first, I mean, that whole like day and a half in the hospital feels was just a blur. It really felt like a right. blur. So we had the coworker that rode down in the ambulance. It was so nice having him. He stayed around for quite a while, pretty much until his shift was technically done at two or three o'clock. He was kind of a mediator. Um, as far as what happened, because he was one of the first that was on the scene after the assault happened. Um, so he could kind of help with the uh, state police, help with the doctor. Or right. Just help there was with... a lot to coordinate. Yeah. Okay. So then what happens with the the whole, I mean, it's a process. Yes. Now we're in the mid, this is like the very cusp of right. a long journey that yes. is still not even over. <laughs> no. <laughs> So, yeah, we had that hospital stay. He had a surgery that night. We got home the next day, and one of the biggest prayer requests I had at the time for people to pray was for Kurt to have peace and with this wiring shut. And, you know, for the most part, he did. He had a panic moment about two days later. Um, this is a really cool thing, too, with the the surgeon. It's like when I would, like, call the on call to ask a question and when he called me back like two days later he's like here's my cell number i want Mm. you to call or text me anytime when you have a question and i just i was thanking god for that provision that just for comfort and reassurance that i was getting that direct (laughs) line because we did have questions yeah personal access to a doctor is no small thing no (laughs) so we started this road to recovery, figuring out um, what blended food was going to look like and what we could do to um, do the it's food. It's interesting your day started with a smoothie yeah, and ended with six more weeks worth of smoothies, yes. right? Like, what can we put in a smoothie? Oh, um, looking for smoothie suggestions. How does a hamburger taste in a smoothie? I'd make one of the favorite ones was this, like, pasta from Costco with a pesto sauce, and I'd make it for us the family, put it in the blender with a little extra, like, chicken broth and blend it up for Kurt. At least it tasted good, even yeah. though it was... Oh, poor guy. So we made it through, and he had um, his uh, wiring taken off in September, and things just didn't seem right. Um, we went through a time period of trying to figure some stuff out, and we could realize by end of September, first part of October, he was going to have to have a second surgery because things weren't lining up well. So the, um, let's see, yeah, in October. So he actually didn't have surgery again until um, right after Thanksgiving. Um, it was part figuring some stuff out, and the surgeon wanted him to get braces on before they did surgery again. They generally, if they know they're going to schedule jaw surgery, will have somebody get braces on because they can 
it helps with the lining up or the surgical process. Yeah, and I have to anchor things in different yeah. ways, I'm sure. So so he got to be, at least, got to have his, uh, he got, got to have function of his jaw for Thanksgiving. Yes. And <laughs> that was good. Yes. And then it was after Thanksgiving, you got to start that whole thing all over again. Yes. Surgery, but he wasn't really, they didn't anticipate him having to be wired shut again. The question was whether he was going to just have to re-break the right side or if he'd have to do the other side to get the better alignment. He did a bunch of checking around with doctors and got confirmation that he thought he could do it with just breaking, re-breaking yeah. the one side. So he did that. And I think that second surgery was like the hardest recovery afterwards. Just he had a lot of bruising the first time, but there was just bruising and it was, it was really a challenging. And then... We went in um, about mid-December, and I could see already that the alignment that you could see just by him smiling wasn't the same yeah. two weeks later. We walked out of the surgeon's office in tears because we knew he was facing a third surgery, and this time it was confident they'd have to break both sides. So he's getting the right side rebroken, rebroken a second time broken for the third time. And then the left side would have to be broken to align stuff. So, uh, yeah, December 28th, he went in for his third surgery. So, it was, it, I mean, it really was a total reconstruction um, and, and a huge process. And in the meantime, you're living normal life. You still have right. a son at home. You're still working on homeschooling him and, and being involved in all the things that you do. And you're becoming a nurse. Right. And so, this is... And take somewhat caretaking your elderly mom. Right. And so it's a lot on your, and it, it, it had to be a, just a challenge to your faith. And, and yes. also this like, okay, um, my husband's not at work now to be praying for him, but what happened at work impacted, yes. um, his, his, his life, my life, our life. And also I need to keep praying for him too. One of the main, one of the key things I wanted to bring up too is through this, God gave me a window into his work. The different people that came to see him at the at the hospital, the superintendent at McLaren came, the Oregon Youth Authority deputy director came to mm -hmm. visit, and his uh, direct supervisor came. Once he was home, we had some different people that came and visit him, and then I think it was two or three weeks in, they needed to have like a kind of a safety investigation. They wanted to just yeah. talk to Kurt about what happened so they can try and make corrections. So it was somebody from the local and then they bring in like a director from another facility. Yeah. And when they came and they were talking with Kurt, I was kind of somewhat interpreting what they couldn't understand him saying <laughs> through his wiring. It's a little hard to do an yeah. interview when you can't open your <laughs> mouth. But it was interesting hearing them say... Um, especially the director, he, they watched the camera, the, the video from what happened. And this director said, you did exactly everything right. You were one of the staff I would love to have at my facility because I watched you were in the exact position you should have been. You were doing all the things. And just the different affirmations I heard from the different staff and and one of the staff saying, man, when the bunch of the youth found out that it was you that got hurt, they're like, no, not Garmin, not Garmin. Yeah. 
And I just thought, you know what? You have a testimony there with other staff and with a bunch of the youth that respect you because you treat them with respect and you're, you know, if they do business and take care of business, they can make a change. You're, you've not lost hope in them for a mistake they've made. There's still hope. So it gave you a vision for the relationships that he was able and the, the impact he's able to have on the youth that he's interacting with. Yes. So, and we were talking earlier about, um, you know, when there's a vocation that each person has, like there's, there's a financial, he's going to work because it's his vocation and it feeds the family. Right. But there's also a ministry component, no matter where you work. And we can, as a wife, we can support him in his ministry and in his vocation um, through prayer. Yes. And I know he feels like in those years he's been there, probably by about the 20th year, <laughs> he was kind of, he'd seen so many changes in the way things were run that it became harder for him to feel like he could make the difference because it, the tools kind of were being taken away. And even before the, the assault, um, he was kind of had his eyes set on retirement, <laughs> knowing that he really was kind of ready to move on to something yeah. different. And then this assault happened, it took him out of work for seven and a half months. And then he went back uh, light duty for um, three months and then full time in July and in July 2019. And then he was able to retire with this time um, less than a year later. It, yeah, it's, it's, um, what a journey. Yes. So he's continued. He just recently got his braces off, but he still has pain in his jaw. Um, and just not sure what the long road is going to be like. It's kind of for him. I know the cliche now is the new normal. That's what he's been saying for quite a while. He thinks right. it's going to be the new normal where he's just not, there's going to be certain things he can't eat. And when he does do some things, he's just going to have pain. I, so. I was also thinking like right now, there's so much talk about law enforcement too. And we think of, you know, there's certain days, Veterans Day and such, we think about law enforcement, uh, military right. people. And then there's back the blue and law enforcement in that way. And, and how often I don't remember to pray for even the people at corrections facilities because right. they're also law enforcement yes. officers, but their job looks completely different than the one who's out doing traffic or investigating as a detective or, or right. military doing their thing. But this, this is a very, um, and, and actually in, in a way, like what you're saying is it's, it's not a one time they're going to see the person, give him a ticket and be done. What he's doing right. really could have an eternal impact in building relationships and, and being a witness both to coworkers and to the youth that he works with. So I think it's a good reminder and a call for us to all pray for those who are working in prisons and youth facilities too. Right. I really love that reminder. We've had those opportunities again, the times when I'm remembering to pray, but also God has given reminders over the years, maybe running into a person that had been in the correctional facility outside, um, 
and 99% of them have been positive. There's only one time we ran into somebody that at Costco years ago, I think Adam, our oldest, was a little guy that was not a good situation. But the most of the time, it's like, hey, you know, Grandma, hey, how are you doing? What are you doing? And there's this positive And these are kids connect. that are now out. out. Yes. They're now they're yes. now out on the outside doing well and they're they're able to say, Yeah, I knew him back then, right. but I'm different now. Right. And there's a good rapport with them and that speaks to me like, you know what? You had an influence in their life because they are excited to see you mm-hmm. and share with you what they're doing and how they're doing and one of the times we went over to the coast and there's a facility uh, up on the coast, it's a little, it's more um, light, like they're kind of getting ready to get out. And I remember Kurt wanted to go see a former coworker that had transferred to that. We pulled up at the facility and two of the kids are out mowing the lawn. And when he gets out, they look at him and say, Carmen, you know, and they're excited. And they're walking over to talk to him. And that, I don't know, that just stirred my heart. Like, okay, Lord, you've got him here. I need to pray for him for his safety, but also for the ministry he has. And that's happened. So I do want to encourage ladies to pray for your husbands, for their work, for, you know, I don't know the environment they're in, but for safety, even if they're just having to drive for work or something, praying for their safety, praying that they can be a light where they're working. And depending on what they're doing, you may not know all that they're going through in a day. Um, sometimes there's stuff they can't tell you, but they're going through stuff and to pray and remember them. <laughs> and we don't have to know, you know, like right. it is. Sometimes it's a per- protection to not know the details and we don't have to know, but we do know that God's eye is everywhere. You yeah. know, he's watching them. He's watching out for them. And that we're, and we're, it's a trust thing. We're trusting the Lord to to cover them and to be with them where they are. Yeah. So, yeah. Is it okay to close if I just share a couple verses? Oh, I'd love for you to do that. Yeah. So, I, for me, and I think for a lot of people, when you're kind of going through a trial, <laughs> I'm always drawn to Psalms, mm-hmm. David's cries and stuff. And I landed so often. I was going back and looking in my Bible where I marked. And a lot of times I'll mark dates and stuff in my Bible when things are hitting me. And so right around the 50s and 60s of Psalms is where I really landed. And I wrote down a few of the verses that I looked at a lot during these um, those seven months Kurt was off. First one is Psalm 54, 4. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the sustainer of my soul. Psalm 55, 22. Cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Psalm 56, 3. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in thee. And Psalm 61, 1. Hear my cry, O God. Give heed to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I call to thee when my heart is faint. And I, oh, that heart is faint. Sometimes it's like I've never been a medically minded person and I was... Yeah, when you said I had to become a nurse, I was like, okay, this is hard for me because I'm not very good with blood and medical stuff. So it was like crash course in some of the ways and trying to figure out how to comfort him in that, um, just with the pain and going through the surgery three times, it was like, okay, 
I guess I'm in really um, intense boot camp here for learning how to um, take care and be a nurse and yeah, so, so. I think you also said, I don't know what other people that don't have faith, how they manage something like this. And I, uh, my little boys are in karate. And in karate, they have this stance that they always go back to. You know, their their legs are spread and their weight is managed. And they're, they're ready because there's going to be a blow at some point or they're going to have right. to send out a blow at some point. And, and so they always go back to this horse stance, I think they call it, as, as just your preparation because... Uh, it helps you be stable when you get a blow. Right. And I think that walking with the Lord, knowing where to go to, is like our horse stance for life. You know, right. if you are standing there without that foundation, when a blow comes, it's going to knock you over and you are, you're going to lose your footing and fall straight into the ground. Right. But when we prepare... Um, we don't know where it's going to come from and in what way. You never imagined this. This was, right. a, like you said, the call that everybody, you know, dreads and you hope never happens. But when it comes, you're able to stand because you have that foundation and you know where to go to for your support and you have those people around you. So I think that is so good. So would you like to pray for the women that Sure. I mean, who knows? Like, we don't know where everybody is and what their husbands do for work, but we know we all do need to be praying for our husbands and be reminded right. to, to take that on and be part of that. Yes. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful that you um, give us the husbands that provide and take care and protect our families. And Lord, we're reminded today that we need to be um, praying for their safety in the work that they're doing and also to be reminded of the testimony the light that they can be in their workplaces the influence they can have among their co-workers or others in their field of work bring to mind regularly lord to remember them and and even ask our husbands what they can share to be more specific in our prayers. Lord, help us to lean into you. We know it's not a matter of if things will happen, but when things will happen in our lives. And like Pam said, to be grounded, to be in position, to be ready, and to know where to go for the, the help and the assurance and the support that we need. And I am thankful for our church family and the friends and the family that walked us through and prayed for us and just um, made this road so much easier to walk. We just to give you thanks for all your teaching us and all your provision in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming over Amen. and for sharing your story. I know it's not been an easy road and uh, the Lord's still working on this. That yes. it's it's not a finished deal, but I'm thankful that um, you've you've learned from it and you've in, you've been encouraged and are able to encourage other women to keep praying for their husbands. I hope that you've been encouraged or challenged in your faith today, and that something we discussed prompts you to grow deeper in your walk with the Lord. If it has, make sure you tell a friend so they can grow along with you. And if you or a friend would like to be a guest and share about God's faithfulness in your life, please email me at podcast at tendingfields.net. 
Because when we tell of God's faithfulness, we never run out of stories. Whatever is true.